This morning we're going to continue on in our series in the book of Jude. Jude's letter to the church, warning the church of false teachers and apostates and calling the church to contend earnestly for the faith. As, as we've talked about, there is a battle raging in our world between truth and error. And we want to make sure that we hold fast to what is true, what God has revealed to us in Scripture. It was really interesting. A few years back, I came across a story in the national media that immediately caught my attention. It caught my attention because of, number one, the dramatic nature of the headlines of this story. Surfer tells of encounter with shark near Seaside on Oregon coast. But it also caught my attention because every year in the spring, I go to Cannon Beach to Seaside, Oregon, where I teach at a college, Ecola Bible College. And I had heard stories of the, the great white sharks that roamed the waters there in the Pacific Northwest. And so I was fascinated to read this story. But as I got into the story, something even more interesting got my attention because I recognized the man in the picture here in the story. This this individual who had this incredible encounter is a young man named Doug Kneeblack. He was a student of mine at E. Cola Bible College. He was in my class. In fact, I've, I've talked to him about this very story after seeing the headlines and the, the television media reporting on this incident. Doug Kneeblack, back in 2011, was out surfing 50 yards off the coast of Seaside, Oregon. And he was at a popular surfing destination. There were a few other surfers out there in the water with him. And uh, Kneeblack was paddling out deeper to catch some waves. He was, like I said, about 50 yards offshore when all of a sudden he felt his surfboard wham, slam into something hard. Now, Doug's first instinct was thinking, I must have hit a rock. A rock underneath the, the waves here. I mean, the Oregon coast is rocky. It's known for its, you know, rocks that are hidden under the waters. And, and so his first instinct was, I must have hit a rock. And so Kneeblack, just instinctively, after being knocked off his surfboard, thinking he hit a rock, he put his hands down and he stood up, thinking he was standing on a rock, only to discover as he looked down, he was on the back of a 12-foot-long great white shark. This is a true story. I mean, like, I wouldn't have even believed it if I didn't know the kid personally. So Doug's standing on the back of this great white shark. And he was, he estimates he was probably there for about three seconds trying to figure out, okay, what in the world do I do? He talks about, if you read the stories, he talks about he started making peace with God real fast. Because he thought the end was near. I mean, you know, imagine he's on this great white shark 50 yards out in the ocean. Well, he's standing on the back of this great white shark trying to figure out what to do. All of a sudden, the shark dives down. And his surfing leash gets caught on the shark's dorsal fin. And the shark literally starts towing Doug out to sea for a matter of seconds. I mean, he was in sheer terror. Well, the leash ultimately broke free, and Doug was able to get on the back of his surfboard, and he started paddling in, and world record time made it back safely to shore. Uh, there were other surfers there who witnessed this, who have attested to what they saw, the, the commotion in the water, and knee black standing up out in the middle of the waves. I mean, just an amazing, incredible story. Now, I thought of this incident this week. I was reminded of this story as I thought about Jude's warning to the church that we have here in this letter, this letter written by the half-brother of Jesus Christ, this man named Jude. 
See, Jude has told us here already, we've seen even at the very outset of his letter, that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have these incredible blessings that are ours in Christ. We are called, we are beloved in God the Father, we are kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, love, ours in abundance. This is all the blessings that are ours in Christ. And so Jude has told us these things, but he's also told us that we need to be on guard. We need to be on guard as Christians because Jude has warned us that we are surfing dangerous waters. Remember in Jude chapter 3 and 4 a few weeks ago, we talked about how Jude starts out his letter, Beloved, I was very eager to write to you about the salvation that we share. Remember, Jude wanted to write an encouraging letter talking about the joy of our salvation, talking about God's amazing grace. But then in verse 4, Jude says, But I decided that I need to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. That was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for condemnation. Jude tells the church, we're surfing dangerous waters. There are sharks circling around us. There are these apostate false teachers. Last week, Pastor Stephen introduced Jude's description of these false teachers for us. Verses 5 through 10. These dangerous sharks circling below, promoting a deadly faith. In verses 5 through 10, Jude highlights three examples from from the Exodus, the idolatry of the Israelites. He highlights Genesis 6 and and the sons of God, these angelic beings that had physical relations with with human women. He talked about the the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, these three Old Testament examples of, of rebellion against God that led to judgment. And if you remember last week, verse 8, verse 8 highlights for us these false teachers' errors. Jude says, in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Friends, what were these false teachers doing? They were rejecting God's absolute truth for their own subjective truth. They they were rejecting God's law for a libertine form of grace. They were saying, it doesn't matter how you live. Go ahead, do whatever you want. Sleep around, party, whatever. It doesn't matter because God just keeps throwing grace on us, right? We just go back and we fall back on God's grace. And, And so we don't need to worry about any of God's moral laws or his moral will for our lives. We can just fall back on God's grace. It was a perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but they were rejecting God's authorities, his prophets and apostles who had delivered the word, the shepherds in the local churches who were teaching the word. They were rejecting God's authorities, setting themselves up as authorities. And then, as we see here, they blasphemed the glorious ones, God's angelic messengers who so often throughout Scripture, remember just a few weeks ago in Daniel, how many times we saw God send angelic messengers to reveal truth to God's people. Those were the glorious ones that these, were, these false teachers were blaspheming. We don't need messages from angels because we have dreams, we have visions, we get revelation directly from God ourselves. And so they were claiming to have this superior knowledge and wisdom. And, and so these were these false teachers. And Jude's letter to us, to the church, for 2,000 years has essentially been the cry of a divinely appointed lifeguard calling out to the church, friends, beware. You're surfing dangerous waters. There are sharks out there. And if you're not careful, they will consume you. 
That's what Jude's letter is. It's a warning to the church. It's a, it's a cry for us to be aware and to contend for the true faith. And this warning cry, this call to be on guard, is as urgent and necessary today as it's ever been. Friends, the sharks have only increased in the last 2,000 years. The false teachers seeking to lead God's people astray have only grown more and more. And we can be confident as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ, we're only going to see them increase all the more. Because Jesus told us that was the number one sign of his second coming. There will be false Christs and false prophets seeking to deceive even the elect if possible, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24. So we need to be on guard, friends. We're, we're surfing dangerous waters here as the church. And as we move on in our series this morning, we're going to find Jude continuing this cry of warning to us. Jude really wants to make sure we don't miss this message. All right? Last week, verses 5 through 10, all about these false teachers. Today, verses 11 through 16, all about these false teachers. You, you might be thinking, this is kind of overkill. It's not overkill because there is nothing more urgent, friends, than knowing the truth and holding fast to the truth and rejecting error and guarding our salvation, our common salvation as brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be aware of these promoters of lies because the consequences are far too serious. So we pick up this morning in Jude, verse 11. We're going to be in verses 11 through 16 today. You can follow along with me on the screens, or if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open your Bibles because we're going to be diving into this passage together. Diving in is probably not a good word with the sharks circling. <laughs> but we're going to take a look at this passage. Let's look at verse 11 through 16. Jude continues on. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of outer dark, utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain an advantage. Jude says here, friends, beware the false teachers. Beware of the false teachers. And here in these verses, Jude gives us four, four warnings, four words of warning for how we can identify the false teachers so that we do not fall victim to them. Jude gives us four warnings. He starts out by number one in verse 11, telling us that we need to recognize their company. We need to recognize their company. Jude opens here in verse 11. He, he says... Woe to them. Woe to them. Here again, friends, with this statement, we see the serious nature of apostasy in those who promote it. 
This statement, woe to them, this statement is a curse of judgment upon the false teachers Jude is warning about. In fact, in the original Greek, the verb here indicates the certainty of future judgment. Woe to them. This is a common expression found throughout the scriptures. In the Old Testament, we see God's prophets use this often. For example, Isaiah chapter 3, verses, verse 11. Isaiah says, woe to the wicked. Judgment on the wicked. Curse upon the wicked. It shall be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt shall be done to him. These woe statements are found all throughout Scripture. In fact, Jesus himself uses this statement often in his teaching in reference to the false teachers of his own day. In fact, if you take a look at Matthew chapter 23, for example, seven times in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus declares woe to them. Woe to them. Woe to them, the scribes and Pharisees who were perverting the truth of God's revelation leading people astray. So when Jude opens up this, this series of verses for us here this morning with this statement, woe to them, what he is saying to us, friends, is that these people are destined for destruction. And if you're not careful, they will take you with them. Woe to them. Friends, you need to understand this morning that truth matters to God. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter 3, there has been a battle raging in our world between truth and error. There's been a battle between God and his revealed truth and, and Satan, the thief who seeks to steal and kill and destroy, leading people astray. We see the reality of this battle throughout the Bible. We see it throughout the New Testament. In fact, friends, did you know every single book of the New Testament, except for Philemon, gives warnings against false teachers? Friends, do you think God takes false teachers seriously? Absolutely he does. Do you think he takes the truth seriously? Absolutely he does. He goes out of his way to warn us repeatedly throughout the Bible about these false teachers. To highlight the reality of the judgment facing these apostate false teachers, Jude once again points us to three examples from the Old Testament. And Jude here chooses to illustrate these false teachers with these three examples because each of these three examples illustrates how these individuals, number one, sinned against God. Number two, how they led others into deception or ruin. And number three, how they each faced condemnation as a result of it. Jude says this is the way of the false teachers. Recognize their company. He, he gives us three illustrations. He, he opens number one. He says they have gone the way of Cain. The way of Cain. This here is a reference to Genesis chapter 4. Verses 3 through 8 where we read the, the story of Cain and Abel, the two sons of Adam and Eve. And how they brought their offerings to God. And Abel brought an acceptable offering. He brought an, uh, an offering of flesh, an animal offering, a sacrificial offering. Remember, God has told us throughout Scripture, it's the blood that makes atonement for sin. And so Abel brought an acceptable offering. Cain brought an offering of produce, an offering from the field. And God said that that offering was not pleasing to him. 
And Cain, because he brought a false offering to God and because God rejected his offering in favor of Abel's offering, Cain became jealous of his brother. And it ultimately led him to kill his brother. Friends, what was the sin here? What was the sin here? Obviously killing his brother, but it all began with Cain rejecting God's will. God had told humanity what was an acceptable offering, but Cain tried to create a religion in his own making, a religion that worked for him. I don't want to give you the the fat of my my livestock. No, I'm going to reserve that for me, but you can have my produce, God. And so he tried to create a new version of religion, but God says, no, no, no. Truth is what I've revealed. What's acceptable to me is what I've revealed. And God rejected Cain's offering, and as a result, Cain killed his brother. And then Cain himself was condemned. Jude gives us a second illustration. He says, verse 11, that they have given themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. You can read the story of Balaam in Numbers chapter 22 through 24 and chapter 31. Balaam was a prophet of God. And as God's people, the Israelites, were coming into the promised land, the nations around the promised land were were getting scared because God's people were conquering nation after nation. Balak, who was the king of the Moabites, he goes to Balaam and he offers Balaam money, financial reward, if Balaam will curse the Israelites, pronounce a curse against the Israelites. It's an interesting story. Again, you can read it in these chapters here in the book of Numbers, but ultimately what happened was Balaam gave himself over to temptation, and he sought to take the bribe of the king of the Moabites. He eventually led the Moabites to seduce the Israelite men to have relations with the pagan women of Midian, which ultimately led to God's judgment. Here again, we see an example of somebody who sinned against God, in Balaam's case, ministering for financial gain. Not seeking the spiritual well-being of God's people, but seeking to gain himself personally, and it led the Israelites into ruin. And it ultimately led to his judgment. Balaam was killed by God as a result of this. The third example Jude highlights here for us is Korah, Korah's rebellion. You can read the story of Korah in Numbers chapter 16. Korah was one of the Levites, the the priestly class of Israel. During the Exodus, when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, heading to the promised land, and God was giving them his revelation of how the sacrificial system would work, how the tabernacle would work, how the priesthood would work. Korah was one of the Levites who were part of the priesthood who took care of the holy things of God and set up the tabernacle and offered the sacrifices. But Korah didn't like the fact that Moses and Aaron were God's appointed authorities over the people of Israel. And Korah led 250 men of Israel to rebel against Moses and Aaron, making the argument that we should all be equal before God. Now that's true in one sense. We are all equal before God as people made in his image, and those of us who have put our hope and trust in him were equal in God in that sense. But God has instituted authority over his people. And he had instituted Moses and Aaron as the authority over the Israelites. 
And Korah rejected that authority. He rebelled against God's appointed authorities. And it led not only to his judgment, but to the judgment of all those families who followed with him. God literally opened up the earth and swallowed them whole as a result of their rebellion against God's appointed authorities. Jude says this is the way of the false teachers, these three examples. You know that old quote, you may have heard it, you are the company you keep. You are the company you keep. Jude wants us to recognize that these false teachers are keeping the wrong kind of company. And it's led to their condemnation, and it will also lead to our condemnation if we're not careful. Jude says recognize their company. He goes on in verses 12 through 13. He says we need to observe their conduct. Beware the false teachers. Observe their conduct. He goes on. He highlights a number of illustrations for us to help us recognize the conduct of these false teachers. He says here, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Here in these six examples, Jude highlights the, the conduct of these false teachers. Again, he's trying to warn us. He's trying to help us understand how we can recognize truth from error. Know the way of the false teacher. He says, number one, they're hidden reefs. They're hidden reefs. And and, and these false teachers often hide themselves amongst genuine believers. In, in, In the first century church, they were participating with the church. They were even participating in the love feasts. Those were basically first century potlucks where the church would come together. They would fellowship around a common meal. And after fellowshipping together, they would worship together, participating in the Lord's Supper together. But these false teachers were infiltrating the church activities, even in the love feasts, sitting amongst the people of God, slowly disseminating their false teachings, leading people astray. Jude calls them hidden reefs, slowly and patiently waiting for an opportunity to promote their errant beliefs and reveal their true motives. We faced a number of these hidden reefs here at Lakes Free over the years. People who have come into our church seeking to lead people astray with false teaching. I thank God that we had a godly pastor, Pastor Rick, who, who modeled for me a biblically faithful way of handling false teachers. I remember with Pastor Rick and I a few years back, we, we had a man who came into our church who was part of a, a militia separatist group. And he started sowing seeds within his ABF group in the form of prayer requests, conspiracy theories about our government, troubling people in our church. Pastor Rick and I had to call him in and talk to him. And we asked him to repent of these false teachings. He refused, and so we lovingly but firmly told him he should probably find another church. A few years later, we had a woman who came into our church. She, she started promoting the idea that if you're suffering in life, if you're sick, if you're dealing with trials and tribulations, it's because you have unconfessed sin in your heart. She showed us she had stacks of journals where she had kept a list of all of the sins she had ever committed in her life, detailed lists of sins that she was praying over regularly, believing if she just confessed every sin perfectly, 
that God would forgive her and that she would be delivered of all sickness, of all illness. And she started teaching this to people within our church, promoting this idea. Once again, we had to call her in. We showed her the truth of Scripture. We lovingly encouraged her to repent of these false teachings. And when she refused, we asked her to leave our church. Friends, we will not tolerate hidden reefs here at Lakes Free Church. Just know that. If you are here sitting among us this morning and you have any other agenda than to worship the Lord and grow in Christ-likeness by studying his word with, with the brothers and sisters in Christ in our fellowship and serving Jesus with us, promoting the gospel here and abroad, if you have any other motive or agenda besides that, we will not tolerate it. And what will happen is our elders and our pastors will hear about it and we will find it out and we will invite you to come and meet with us. And we will lovingly but firmly correct you with scripture and we will ask you to repent and if you fail to do that, we will ask you to leave our church. You might be thinking, whoa, Jason, that sounds so judgmental. That's, isn't that a little intolerant? Yes, it is. We are very intolerant of false teachers here at Lakes Free Church. We will not tolerate it. So just be aware, friends, because we stand on the truth of God's word. Jude goes on. He, he calls these false teachers shepherds feeding themselves. Instead of caring for the well-being of their sheep, these apostate false teachers regularly use their position of influence for their own benefit. They came into the church promoting themselves as teachers, as leaders, wanting to be a part of the fellowship, but it was all for their own personal gain. Oh, how we have seen examples of this throughout the centuries. A few weeks back, I shared how I had the opportunity to speak at a conference at the Ark in Kentucky for Answers in Genesis. One of the fellow speakers there that weekend was a man named Costi Hinn. His uncle is a man named Benny Hinn one of the greatest false teachers in the modern era. Benny Hinn, for thousands of dollars, will encourage people to send him gifts and donations of thousands of dollars where they can sow a seed of faith, where they can activate their miracle, and God will deliver them of sickness and make them healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. All the while, Benny Hinn lives a lavish lifestyle, flying around the world on his private jet, staying in $1,000 hotel rooms each night, living in a multi-million dollar mansion, driving $100,000 cars. He's a false shepherd, friends, seeking only to feed himself. This is what Jude is warning us about here. He calls these false teachers waterless clouds. These false teachers promise life and refreshment, but they fail to deliver because they have nothing of substance to offer. How many times my yard is baking in the heat right now? You know, we've seen these storms come through recent days. These clouds start rolling, and I'm thinking, oh, great, we're going to get rain. But the clouds pass right over. They're waterless clouds. They have no substance. That's what Jude describes these false teachers as. They promise life and refreshment, but they fail to deliver. Back in the early 2000s, there was a, a group that was gaining wide acclaim throughout the evangelical church, a church movement known as the Emergent Church. Men like Brian McLaren and Doug Padgett and Mark Driscoll and Rob Bell and many others. They were the latest, greatest thing. They were going to revolutionize the church. They're going to reach our postmodern, post-Christian culture. 
In the early days of this emergent church movement, I was uh, involved from the very beginning in this group because of some relationships I had with some of the key leaders in the emergent church. And I got involved because I was excited about this idea of we're going to reach the post-Christian culture for Christ. We're going to do church in a new and unique way. But the more I got involved with these men promoting the emergent church movement, I quickly discovered that they were not promoting true biblical Christianity. They were promoting lies. They denied absolute truth. As a result of denying absolute truth, they rejected the authority and inspiration of Scripture. They began to teach a quasi-universalistic form of salvation. Jesus wasn't the only way to salvation. There's no judgment. There's no hell. All people will ultimately be accepted if they're just sincere. They endorsed a a mystical form of Christianity, practicing all kinds of non-biblical practices to become more spiritual. They celebrated the LGBT movement. They denied God's revealed truth in a whole host of ways. I was one of the earliest Christian apologists to speak out against this movement. In fact, in 2006, I wrote an article called My Journey Into and Out of the Emergent Church. You can still find it online where I detailed many of these errors within the emergent church movement. It was really fascinating. I I was incredibly blessed at this conference in Answers in Genesis. I had a woman come up to me. She was a a pastor's wife. She said, Jason, I want to thank you for that article you wrote because it saved our church from going the way of the emergent church movement. Friends, let me ask you, have you heard about the emergent church recently? Have you heard the names Rob Bell or or Brian McLaren, or all these guys who were so popular and famous 20 years ago, 15 years ago? Where are they? Waterless clouds blown away. All of these guys have apostatized today. None of them are walking with Jesus. In fact, many of them aren't even involved in churches anymore. Sad. But this is exactly what Jude warns us about. He calls these false teachers fruitless trees, Jesus himself used the same description when he warned his disciples about false teachers in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 16 through 20, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jude calls these false teachers fruitless trees, twice dead and uprooted. A couple weeks ago on a Sunday afternoon, I went home from church and I was working on my landscaping in my front yard. I had this shrub bush with all these, you know, branches that were coming out of the roots growing up. And it had been a beautiful shrub in our front yard for years, but it wasn't growing this year. And so I went out to check it out and I thought, maybe I just need to prune some of these dead branches off it. And as I was pruning, I quickly discovered I didn't even need to cut. The branches were literally just crumbling apart, breaking apart as as I yanked on them. And the more I pruned and discovered, the more I realized this tree was rotten all the way down to its very roots. And so I dug it up. And like this shrub, I dug up, fruitless, torn out, thrown away. This is the nature and end of all the false teachers. They are fruitless and rootless. They are twice dead. They have no connection to Christ. And as a result, they can produce nothing good. Jude goes on and he describes them as wild waves. 
wild waves casting up the foam of their own shame. Here Jude makes the connection between these, these false teachers and their beliefs and their immoral behavior. He says they're like wild waves, raging seas that do nothing but stir up moral filth and foam, the foam of their own shame. I've spent some time on the West Coast over the years. My family's from California, and I've taught up on the Northwest Coast of Oregon for, for many years. And, and, and if you're on the Oregon coast and those storms come in from the Pacific... Those storms, they make a lot of noise. They're big and they're bold and they're boisterous and they come through and they stir up all kinds of debris. They leave the, the shoreline covered in sea foam and seaweed and driftwood and power lines are down all over town. I mean, trees are falling. It's a huge mess. And this is what Judah's describing here. Sadly, so many false teachers are just like these storms. They make a lot of noise and get everyone's attention, but when they pass through, they leave a giant mess in their wake. Just in my lifetime, I think of stories like Jim and Tammy Faye Baker and Jimmy Swaggart and Ted Haggard and Jerry Falwell Jr. and Carl Lentz, these, these so-called teachers of the gospel who fall into sin and moral error and end up leaving churches ruined behind them, devastated, wild waves, Jude calls them, casting up the foam of their own shame. Friends, Jude gives us these warnings. He says, look, you need to understand these are the marks of the false teachers. He calls them wandering stars. Here he equates these, these false teachers to shooting stars or possibly comets, celestial objects that light up the sky but then quickly fade away. They promise spiritual light, but they have no lasting value, no commitment to anyone but themselves, and they quickly disappear, leaving disillusionment in their wake. I remember when I was in Cuba about 13 years ago with my dad, we had come in to hold pastors' conferences, and one of the great issues facing the church in Cuba at this time was a movement known as the New Apostolic Reformation. It's a movement that's still prominent in our world today. Many, many people claiming to be modern-day apostles of Jesus Christ. Friends, if you ever hear somebody claiming to be a modern-day apostle of Jesus, number one, you'll recognize right away that person's a false teacher because there's no apostles today. Apostles were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ who were taught by Jesus himself. There are no modern-day false, there are no modern-day apostles. And so these men were coming into Cuba from America claiming to be the apostles over the island of Cuba. And so you need to listen to us, not your pastors, not your denominational leaders. We're the leaders now. We're the apostles. Who are you to question the authority of God's apostle? And these people had ended up splitting and dividing the churches all over Cuba. It was really sad. This is going on all over the world today, these false apostles dividing churches. And they come in and they do their damage and they don't stick around to minister to these people. No, they disappear after the churches have given them all their money because they're apostles who deserve to be paid rightly. It's sad, friends. These are the things Jude's warning us about here. And Jude here tells us, he concludes his description informing us that their destiny is ultimately judgment. They are those for whom the gloom of outer darkness has been reserved forever. This leads me to point number three this morning. Jude says we need to understand their condemnation. 
He goes on in verses 14 through 15. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness. Here Jude is quoting Enoch, a, a, a man who is found in the book of Genesis. He's seventh in the line of Adam. Enoch is a biblical figure. But this prophecy that we find here is not a biblical prophecy. This is a prophecy that was passed to the Jewish people in a book known as First Enoch. This is a non-canonical book. It's not Holy Spirit-inspired scripture. Now, did Enoch really prophesy this? He may well have. It could have been an oral tradition passed down that found its way into the book of Enoch. And so Jude quoted this. More likely, this was just a non-canonical book that was very popular in the first century. A book that in this case actually conveyed a biblical truth. Jesus is coming back with ten thousands of his angels in judgment. We read about that in Daniel chapter 7. We read about that in Revelations 19 and 20. That's going to happen. And so Jude is probably simply quoting this non-biblical book as an illustration of biblical truth. Now, this is nothing to get concerned over, friends, right? A couple weeks ago, I concluded my sermon series in Daniel by quoting C.S. Lewis, right? C.S. Lewis is not a Holy Spirit-inspired author of Scripture. Great writer, lots of great truth, truth that is even biblically corroborated, which is what I used in the quote I shared with you, Right? But this is exactly what Jude is doing here. He's quoting Enoch to convey a biblical truth that we find elsewhere in Scripture. Passages like Revelation 19 and 20. The Apostle Peter summarizes God's judgment in these end times events in 2 Peter 3.10. Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. What does that mean? That the works done on it will be exposed. Peter here is referring to the great white throne of judgment. Revelation 20, 11 through 15 tells us that at the end time, after the return of Christ, after Jesus' millennial reign of a thousand years, he is going to raise everybody back to life and they will stand before God at the great white throne of judgment where they will be judged for what they did in their time on earth and whether they trusted in Jesus or not. And all who are not found written in the book of life are going to be cast into the lake of fire. Friends, God's judgment is a real thing. These false teachers and all who follow them in unrepentance will sadly one day face God's judgment. This isn't something that we revel in or glory in. No, this is something like, as Francis Schaeffer used to say, the doctrine of hell and God's judgment needs to be taught with tears because these are people who have been deceived and led astray. And every one of us here knows people like this who are facing God's judgment. It's a real thing. Jesus spoke about hell three times more often than he spoke about heaven. Why? Because he knew hell was real. He knew people could really go there and he really didn't want that to happen. How bad is hell? Sometimes people ask me. Hell is so bad, friends, that it costs the Son of God his very life to keep you from going there. And so we need to guard our hearts, friends. We need to guard our hearts for the truth. Proverbs 4.23 
Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart. Keep your heart, for from it flows the springs of life. How do we keep our hearts? How do we guard our hearts from the false teaching so prevalent in our world today? I opened with a shark illustration. Let me close with a shark illustration. One of the movies that has left permanent scars on my life every time I step foot in the ocean. Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic Jaws. After an hour of terrorizing people, not seeing this shark, not, not seeing anything but the carnage of this great white shark, an hour and 10 minutes into the movie, Chief Brody and Quint the fisherman and the marine biologist played by Richard Dreyfus, they're out hunting this shark. And if you remember the scene, Chief Brody is throwing Chum off the back of the boat when all of a sudden this 25-foot shark rises up out of the ocean. And Chief Brody turns to Quint. He says, you're going to need a bigger boat. And friends, if we're going to survive the treacherous waters of our day, if we're going to avoid the sharks who would seek to consume us, the apostates and false teachers who are so prevalent in our world today, if we're going to make it safely through life to God's heavenly shores with an intact, strong, and vibrant faith, we're going to need a bigger boat. And the good news is God has given us that boat. What is that boat? That boat is God's word. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Friends, this is God's boat of salvation. It's his word of truth. It's his message of amazing grace found here in his word. This is the boat that leads to life. If you're going to make it through this world with an intact faith, you need to hold fast to God's word. His once for all Faith delivered unto the saints. And that's why we root our lives in the word, friends. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to study your word this morning. We thank you for these warnings about the false teachers that are so prevalent in our world. I pray, Jesus, that we will hold fast to the truth of your word so that we might not be led astray by the many errors and falsehoods that are out there in our world today. Guard our church, Lord. Guard our church from the influence of false teachers. Lord, please protect our people from the enemy and those he has deceived who would seek to, to lead others with them into apostasy. God, please protect us from that. Lord, help me as, as the pastor of this church and help our elders to be faithful shepherds guarding our flock. And Lord, give us a love and joy and passion for your truth and your word so that we would stand firmly on it and put our lives, rest our lives in the hopes contained in it, and that we might know life and life abundantly through it. We pray all this in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, would you stand for our benediction this morning? The Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. And now grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you.